0: greetings everyone and welcome back to another episode of plan b success who we have with us today is brooke lively who's the president and founder of cathedral capital all the way from texas now what brooke does with her company is she's so focused on small businesses and making sure that they succeed they grow their revenues and then they come out succeeding in the the value that they want to provide out there to their clients now brooke has also been several other things so she's had a corporate career she's worked with consulting companies she's actually helped start up and support a law firm at a point in time she's written several books as well she's a cfa chartered financial analyst as well so she's done been there done that and now she's focused on small businesses and making sure that they come out successful so let's welcome brooke brooke welcome to the show
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on today.
0: Absolutely, it's our pleasure. So in your own words, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Well, this was so funny. When we came across Plan B podcast, we're like, okay, this could not be more perfect for me. Um, I, I, I went to, and I don't know if it was my high school or my college, both were single sex, both were all girls. And one of them at some point sent us a statistic that said the average woman will have five to seven careers in their lifetime, not five to seven jobs, but five to seven careers. And I I, I think I'm living that. So when we talk about plan B, I told you right before we started, I may be on plan D, E, or F. Mm -hmm. So I do believe that, that everything you do Brings you to where you are. And even if you get off track, even if you've got this plan in your mind and it's so clear, and somehow you get bumped off track, that really the experience that you gain while you're off track will move you forward even better. So I graduated from college, had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I thought originally that I wanted to go into kind of investment banking and finance. My best friends father, when I was in high school, was doing amazing things like green mailing Disney. Um, And he was the one that put Michael Eisner in the job. So like I was up close and personal to like the roaring 80s and everything that was going on in finance. But when I graduated from college, I had kind of lost track of that, didn't know what I wanted to do. I went into retail. I was in retail for a while. I did a little bit in the hotel industry. And um, then I became someone's personal assistant. And I was really stinking good at that. But then, you know, that's kind of a hard life. So then I went back into retail. And then at 35, I decided to go to grad school, which is a little late. Um, thought I was going to do marketing. Ended up with a um, an MBA with a double concentration in corporate finance and investments. And that's when I went to work for the hedge fund. Because when you have a CFA, that's what you do. You work for a hedge fund, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and how funny that there I was at 37, where I thought I wanted to be when I was 17. Well, turns out it wasn't what I thought it was. Ended up, um, my father likes to shed his law partners every seven to 10 years. So he shed his law partners and asked me if I could help him set up a new firm, which I did. We grew it to over a million dollars in just over a year. And then I kind of hit a wall and I thought, this isn't where I wanna be for the rest of my life. And I had hired a consultant to help us with sales and marketing and his clients started coming to me and saying, can you do for for us what you're doing for for your family's firm? And I thought, yes, I can in fact, bring data into professional services to help the owners of professional services companies make better decisions through data by serving as their CFO. So what we do is we help make small companies more profitable.
0: Awesome. and you're So focused- is that plan
1: D or E? What do we
0: think? <laughs> Whatever you want to call it. <laughs> you know, so, uh, I had also read that you were more interested in family-owned businesses? Is, is there a particular reason for that?
1: Um, I do like family-owned businesses. I think that they present a special set of problems. When you are working with family, you cannot, for example, shed your partners. It makes for a really awkward Thanksgiving. And so it's just a, it's a different set of of problems it's a little more unique there's a little bit more of the interpersonal that's in there and i really like that
0: and then as far as cathedral capital is concerned when did you form the company and what are the services you provide
1: oh my gosh when did we form i think we formed in 2013 um really kind of came into our own in 2015 um And we, like I said, we help make small companies more profitable by serving as their CFO. So those companies that are between one and 20 million that aren't big enough to pay, you know, someone 150 or $200,000 a year to sit in their, to sit in their office all day, every day. I mean, first of all, they can't afford it. And second of all, that person would be bored stiff. There's not enough for them to do, but those companies still need that strategic advice. They need that financial knowledge because most of them went into business because they were passionate about something, not because they wanted to look at, at, at spreadsheets and PLs. and So we come in and we take over that seat on a fractional basis to, to help you become more profitable.
0: Awesome. Now you've had, you know, a pretty much, a uh, pretty colorful career and things that you have actually experimented with and gone back to school um, and as well as then gone back to work. And it's, it's more like every time you thought, hey, this is the dream, uh, dream job or the dream career. And then you pop the bubble and then moved on to the next one. Yeah. Throughout your career, you know, what's been most interesting for you? Some of the jobs that you've done, some of the companies that you've worked with, what did you find was the thing that was pulling you, attracting you toward itself?
1: I think I've learned some amazing things at the companies I've worked for. I worked for the Ritz Carlton, which is absolutely known throughout the world for its its customer service. I also worked for Nordstrom, which has that same approach. I think one of the most interesting jobs that taught me about teamwork was when I was an an assistant and I was an assistant to Ethel Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy's widow. And it was in that moment and in in that job that I really learned you can't do it alone. And And it takes a lot of people and it takes a wide breadth of knowledge. And so that was a really fun job. And I did, you know, I got to meet everybody And yes, Senator Kennedy would walk in. Mrs. Kennedy was notorious for not keeping assistance for very long, and I stayed for a really long time. And, um, you know, Senator Kennedy would walk in and he'd be like, man, she's still here. I could see it on his face. He's like, wow. So I got to meet not only the family, but all the people that were in their their circle. And so I met presidents and, and world leaders, and that was a lot of fun. Um, and, and then, you know, the hedge fund taught me about deep analysis because I was an analyst and, and I learned that in grad school too. How do you dig down and find the root cause of things, but still be able to pull out far enough to see the forest? You know, how can we go inspect the bark on the tree? and still come out and see how that tree is part of this larger organism and i think that that's one of the things that's really important for what we do in drawing those conclusions what is it how does a relate to b to c and how can we tie those in and how can we harness them to be more productive
0: you know that's a great point you know this the ability to go deep down and see the mark on the tree but at the same time scale back and see the forest for what it is. You know, I personally believe that's a rare skill, which is highly in demand and not a lot of people get it. What's been your experience?
1: It is hard. It's, it's hard to hire that. Um, and what we're finding is it really is hard to hire that. And so what we have started doing is instead of asking one person to serve all those roles we have begun to build teams for our clients. So our client gets the CFO more of the strategy. And then there's also an analyst that goes and digs and like microscope on the bark, trying to figure out what makes the tree grow the way it grows, and then feeds that information to the CFO. And um, because I think really the secret sauce for a CFO is making those connections and is being able to see the big picture and find the drivers. So that's mm-hmm. why we started creating a team.
0: What do you think is the fun part of what you do?
1: Oh, for me personally, mm-hmm. it's that moment, whether I'm, I'm speaking on stage or whether I'm talking to a client, that moment where you see the light bulb go off in their head, And you're like, they just got that. And that one thing that they just got and they understand they're going to implement and it's going to make a difference in their company. And like, that's just the best. Mm -hmm.
0: You know, since you work with small businesses, which, you know, obviously when someone is coming to you, they have a challenge that they're trying to find a solution for. And it's a small business and a small business, is very prudent about how they spend.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: how, how do you make your case? How do you make your case where that, you know, your services, the services that you bring to them are vital in order to, for them to scale or step ahead?
1: Absolutely, I mean, it, it's super easy. Very often in the sales call, I will make a change in, in their company that will more than pay for us for the year, just right there. Mm -hmm. So they start to see because we've seen so much, because we've done this so often, because we are working in this small niche of companies, we can diagnose things really quickly. And there's a, a great phrase, little hinges swing big doors. And we know where all those little hinges are, all those little tweaks that we can make you know, one of the things that we're known for, most of our companies collect over 90% of what they bill. And in service-based companies, that's a really high collection rate. The -hmm. average is closer to 75 or 80. Okay. I promise you, if you're doing a million dollars and I raise your collection rate by 15%, oh, I have paid for us in spades. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Awesome.
0: Awesome. Now, in terms of you finding your clients or your clients finding you, how does that work?
1: Um, We find our clients a couple of different ways. We find our clients um, through client referrals. Our clients tend to stay with us for a long time. Um, We are a big champion of them and they in return are a big champion of us. So most of our clients come through referrals. Uh, I also do a lot of speaking. I wrote a book last year. And, um, I have another one coming out in July. And so I, I speak on that topic a lot and that's really good for us. And then podcasts, interestingly, we have found occasionally people will find us on a podcast, but more often they find us somewhere else. And then they Google and they find podcasts that I've been on.
0: Awesome. Have you had clients that have come back to you and, you know, requested services on other dimensions, for instance, operations or client management or some of these other dimensions besides just finance?
1: So here's, what's interesting. Money touches every single part of your business. Mm -hmm. There is not a thing in your business that doesn't involve money. So, Yeah. Do we talk about operations? Absolutely. We're going to talk to you about workflows. We're going to talk to you about billing goals. We're going to talk to you about those things that keep your company productive. Um, We spend a lot of time on HR issues. We find that really one of the biggest problems that entrepreneurs have is as they start to approach that million-dollar mark, They're spending less time doing in their business and they're spending more time on their business. So instead of working in the business, they're working on the business and working on the business requires leadership skills that most of them don't have. So yeah, we spend time on leadership skills for the owner, but also helping them and teaching them how to bring the rest of their team along because they can't just invest in their leadership skills. They need to invest in the leadership skills of the people who will eventually run that company. So, yeah, we, we do a lot. We look at marketing. I can't fix your marketing, but I can pinpoint exactly where your marketing problem is. Right. I can say your verbiage is wrong. So yeah, we touch everything.
0: All right. Now, the books that you mentioned that you authored, and especially the the six uh, uh, key numbers series, Mm -hmm. talk to us about your books.
1: So uh, the book really came, I was at an EO meeting, entrepreneurs organization, and one of the guys said, okay, imagine this, you're on a fabulous five-star desert island. There's no radio, no TV, no internet, no phone once a week a supply boat comes from the mainland and it brings new guests picks up the guests that are leaving supplies and you can have the captain hand you a piece of paper with three pieces of information on it what three pieces of information would you need to know whether you could stay another week or not Mm -hmm. and that really started the quest um what were those three pieces of information? Is it three, is it five, is it 40, is it 14? Like, what was it? And so my team and I really worked on this for years and we came up with six. There's six key numbers that you need to know. Four of them are forward-looking and two of them help you get back on track. And if you were on the desert island and the captain came and he handed you a piece of paper with these six pieces of information on it, you could, absolutely make the decision whether you stay or not, because you'll really have your finger on the pulse of your business. And so once we developed it, we realized that we needed, we needed to talk about this. So we, we wrote the book. I wrote the book. And, um, the first one was specifically for lawyers. And the one we're releasing this year is for entrepreneurs.
0: Awesome. So why is this a series? Are are there more books coming in this?
1: There are more books coming. Um, I don't know what the next one will be. We have talked about working with um, SaaS companies, services as a software. We've talked about um, chiropractors. We've talked about therapy practices. Um, It's just kind of, um, we've talked about marketing firms a lot. We work with a number of marketing firms but we don't wanna come out with a book until we are so incredibly expert in that industry. So we're exploring which next industry we're going to really delve deep.
0: So when you mention the six key numbers and then you're mentioning you know, these different you know, verticals, so to speak, do the mm-hmm. numbers change? By, uh, uh, it's the same numbers, right?
1: Yes, they're basically the same numbers. They're gonna be a few little tweaks and changes. So for instance, when we talk about law firms, we're going to talk about um, average, we're gonna talk about case management, okay? And we're gonna look for, the key number we're gonna look for in that area is net new cases. When we're talking about entrepreneurs, the verbiage changes, same numbers, but the verbiage changes. So, engagement based KPIs. You know, what is the average price, average length, and average value of your engagement? And instead of looking for net new cases, we're looking for net new engagements. All right. So, the numbers are very universal.
0: Now, there was also another book that you co-authored back in 2012 around uh, controlling, protecting, and monetizing assets in dispute. What was that about?
1: That is, um, uh, back early on, we did some receiverships. I did some receiverships. And this is where um, you come in to a company where there is a dispute generally between the owners. So this goes back to a little bit of that family-owned thing. And generally what has happened is the minority owners think that in some way, shape or form, the person running the company is wasting company assets. So they sue and the court comes in and the court actually assumes ownership of the company and puts in a receiver to run it on behalf of the court. Since nobody can agree, there's now an independent third party. So um, yes, that book, Controlling Monetizing, Controlling, whatever, controlling what, I can't even remember the name of that book.
0: Con- controlling, protecting, and monetizing protecting. assets. Protecting, that's yes. the one I
1: keep forgetting. Controlling, protecting, and monetizing assets in dispute is, is really the book in the state of Texas on how to run a receivership. Um, it's always funny when I have judges that are like, I really needed your book because you know I had this receivership and I wasn't sure what was happening, um, so yeah. We, I did that a long time ago. So where do people
0: find your books? Amazon. Awesome. All right. And uh, you know you've you've said that your your uh, company was established around twenty thirteen came into itself by fifteen and now you've seen what has happened last year with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. How was business last year, and what what have you learned during this pandemic timeframe?
1: Um, I think. What we have learned is that, and it's something that we knew, but it was definitely confirmed, most business owners don't have control over the financials of their business. Um, When the pandemic started and all of a sudden they needed to have really good financials to be able to apply for the PPP, you know, all their books needed to be in order. Mm -hmm. Um, Most companies across the U.S. didn't have that. They didn't have reliable books. They did not have a relationship with their banker, which is incredibly important. And they weren't prepared to move quickly. We had clients that, because that's what we do, they were ready to go. We had clients that got amazing deals. So for example, the idle loan, the, um, the EIDL, mm-hmm. which is a loan, it's like 3%, it's a 30-year loan. Well, they were capping it theoretically at 250,000. Well, the first people that got through got half a million dollars. So our clients got half a million dollars going into the pandemic because they were on the ball and they were on top of it. Um, And we were on top of it. Uh, And then all of a sudden, after it was open for like four or five days, they took the cap down to 250. They have now since raised it again. But that agility, the, the knowing what you're doing and having the confidence to move forward, I think is really what was exposed. The lack of that was really exposed across, across a lot of different businesses. And, um, and I think it caused some people to wake up and realize that they needed a little bit more help.
0: Where do people find you, you know, if they're interested in your services or to learn more about uh, your company?
1: I think the easiest way to find us is our website. Um, it's cathcap.com, C-A-T-H-C-A-P.com. And right. you can email us, you can call us, everything's right there.
0: Awesome. Hey, Brooke, this has been a pleasure, you know, hosting you, talking to you about your company, and then your own personal journey, your own personal journey, the many pivots that you've taken to get to where you are today. Before I let you go, one takeaway for the listeners, anything that you'd like to share from your experiences?
1: Yeah, I think it's really that, kind of as I said in the beginning, if you get off track, don't beat yourself up about it. There is something to learn from every job you have, from every step you take. And it is amazing how the things that I learned in retail are so applicable in finance. So don't beat yourself up and really approach everything as a learning experience.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your story and wish you the very best as you make progress.
1: Thanks. I appreciate you having me on.